and we will be reading verses 30 through 44. Listen carefully to the holy, infallible word of God. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to give, to nourish us, to our full satisfaction concerning the grace of salvation that is solely found in him. We ask, O Lord, that we would have ears to hear this very day of the great, great sufficiency of the shepherd Lord. In Christ's name, amen. What a contrast. What a staunch contrast. It is staring you right in the face this morning. 
It cannot be more penetrating to exposing the honest passions and desires of our hearts spiritually. Do you love the world? Or do you love Jesus and his kingdom? Are you willing to be honest with yourselves? Or are you going to try to deny what is really in our hearts? Perhaps you are saying to yourself, Pastor Bill, what are you talking about? (laughs) What is the contrast that you are saying that stares us right in the face here before us? Again, Church of Jesus Christ, I place before you the flow of Mark's gospel. The contrast that is being showcased right before you are two different feasts. The feast of Herod Antipas and the feast of Jesus Christ. Now, Which one is more attractive to you? Which one is more attractive to your own eyes? To your own heart? To your own passions and desires? Which one would you really want to be present in attendance? Think of Herod's banquet. Think of the occasion. It is his birthday. It's always fun, is it not, to celebrate birthdays. Think of who is in, who are the invited guests. Really high-ranking people. Very prestigious people to mix and rub shoulders with. The nobility. Oh, his military commanders are going to be there. That would make fun conversation. And also the nobles from Galilee. Think of the important people you would get to see and know. You would be able to gain the respect of these significant people that may even further your own career. Also, You do not want to overlook the platters of food which were filled with the most delicious cuisine you can eat and you can drink to your heart's desire. And what is a good banquet without some entertainment? Seductive dancing should top off the evening. So how is your heart responding to Herod's birthday bash? Sound like a good time to you? Now note the contrast of Jesus' banquet meal. It is not in an earthly ruler's palace. In fact, the initial description of the place is not very attractive at all. It is in a desolate place. 
We have here the wilderness imagery. Verse 35 of our text. The guests are not invited dignitaries of notable nobility, wealthy nobility, and military leaders. Rather, they are a bunch of people who have run pursuing the apostles from the towns. Most likely just everyday people. As they raced after the apostles, the narrative changes to focus on Jesus who observed them as he got off the boat and walked ashore. The crowd takes on a distinctive, a distinctive appearance to Jesus. They are a bunch of people who look like sheep without a shepherd. Odd imagery, is it not, for a banquet. <laughs> the meal is not a platter full of delicious food. Rather, Jesus' banquet serves only bread and fish. Known, known as the food at this time in history of a peasant's, a peasant's diet. These sheep without a shepherd do not sit as honored guests at the tables of a prestigious earthly ruler. They sat in groups on green grass with eyes that did not recognize the ruler of the universe is actually before them. Now, how about the entertainment? How about the entertainment here at Jesus' feast? The entertainment was a key event in Herod's banquet. Well, if you can put it like this, the entertainment at the banquet which Jesus serves is prior to the meal. It's Jesus' teaching instructing about the kingdom of God. Verse 34. As we come to the point of Jesus' meal, he begins the meal with a blessing of heavenly prayer. Jesus' meal was not draped in gluttony, intoxication, And worldly pleasures. And those who ate this meal of a peasant's diet. Of just bread and fish. Were completely satisfied. In fact. Amazingly. From five loaves. And two fish. There is the abundance of leftovers. Twelve baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. You are seeing here, as we read in terms of our call to worship, that passage in John's gospel about the good shepherd. You're seeing here Mark's edition. Mark's edition in this particular gospel of 
the good shepherd. The good shepherd. So which banquet is more attractive to your heart? Which one would you enjoy more? Which one can you visualize being present? Oh, our God knows our hearts. If you are saying to yourself that your heart is with Jesus, then let us look into your union with Christ in this banquet feast with the 5,000. As we have noticed already, the setting for the feeding of the 5,000 is a desolate place. It is a wilderness. It is part of the wilderness theme that we have seen again and again in Mark's gospel. Prompted by the words of the disciples to Jesus in verse 35. And notice also here in the text that there is a switch from calling them apostles as they went out. Now they're back to being called by Mark disciples. God's providence is lifting us up out of the wilderness life of Israel in the Old Testament and placing us in our final eschatological wilderness life in this world in which the final shepherd for scattered sheep has now arrived. Yes, we are about to enter an incredible religious event of Christ's kingdom that is just that is still only a preview of the final banquet feast in the glorious residence of heaven. But a close look at the text demonstrates that the disciples and the crowd are not tuned into the revelatory importance of the event. Are you? Are you? Let us look at the disciples. Remember when I raised the question whether the disciples were ready to be sent out on their evangelistic message, I never stated to you that they were actually ready. They went out solely by the directive and authority of Jesus' commission to them, armed with the pattern of Jesus' own ministry, proclaiming the kingdom of repentance, casting out demons, healing the sick. Well, as the apostles return, they return still as confused and perplexed disciples as to whether they truly understand the identity of Jesus and his activity. As it is late in the day, the huge crowd is around them. The disciples address Jesus in the imperative voice. In the imperative voice, commanding Jesus 
to send to release the crowd and to go into the countryside and villages to buy food for themselves. Verse 36. Well, Jesus knows exactly how to turn the tables back on his disciples' command. After all, did they not just return from preaching and performing the activity of Jesus' kingdom? Has faith in Jesus and his kingdom taken hold in their lives yet? So Jesus fires back right back with the imperative. Jesus commands the disciples to give the crowd something to eat. Jesus is not going to send the crowd away. Rather, Jesus orders the disciples to feed them. Verse 37. Now the discussion really gets testy. Between Jesus and the disciples. The response to Jesus' command is met with disrespectful tone of sarcasm by the disciples. And Jesus has definitely set them up for their reaction. Why? Is Jesus mean? Of course not. Something extremely important is at stake here. Do they understand the power and authority of Jesus and his kingdom? More importantly, have the disciples comprehended that the light of the kingdom has been removed from under the basket? Do they realize that the seed of the kingdom is becoming, is beginning to grow upon the earth? Do they sense that the kingdom represented in the smallest seeds, the mustard seeds, seed is now growing. I'm taking you back where? To Jesus's instruction to the parables. Are the disciples getting it? Do they understand the preaching of the word that Jesus gave? It seems that after their own evangelistic tour, should I say it? After their own internship under the directive of Jesus, They're still dumbfounded about the meaning of Jesus and his kingdom. So as the disciples look at the crowd, they estimate that it would take almost a year's wages to feed the crowd. 200 denarii. Money that they do not possess. Get real. How on earth are the disciples going to be able to buy that much food to feed the crowd? Well, all along, Jesus has been in control of their conversation and he knows exactly where he is going to take their conversation indeed he really he really intervenes and takes control placing an interesting question before them how many loaves do you have go and see verse 38 they return and say five loaves and two fish 
Now, are you ready for Jesus to really take control of the situation? Are you really ready to see his display of authority and power? Do you really want to see the presence of the sovereign shepherd serving his flock? Are you ready for one to actually transform a desert, a wilderness, as one scholar puts it, and perform a metamorphosis of the desert into a place of refreshment, life, joy? Do you see it? Jesus commands all who are present to sit in groups, that is, groups of hundreds and fifties, on green grass, invoking a situation of Israel in the wilderness back in Exodus 18.21. How on earth does a desolate place in wilderness transform into green grass? To you, the reader, Mark is confronting you with this truth. Have you not yet comprehended that you have the one who the wind and the sea obey right in front of you? Is it too hard? Is it too hard? That Jesus taking on the shepherd imagery of the promised Messiah to turn the desert into a place of green grass for his sheep. Have you noticed that in the text? Is Ezekiel's prophecy about the great shepherd who is coming just an illusion in Ezekiel 34? Is Psalm 23 to you just a nice version of Hebrew poetic prose that resonates in your heart? Or does the prophet Ezekiel and the words of David really place you in the palm, your life, in the palm of Jesus' hand in green pastures as you are nourished and totally satisfied with heavenly, blessed bread. The typical Jewish prayer prior to a meal was to bow your head and look downward. And pray these words. Praise unto thee, O Lord, our God, King of the world. Well, are you noting how Jesus, our Lord God, the King of the world, prayed in this situation? As you look at the text, he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up. To heaven, not down. 
he blessed and broke the bread and gave the broken loaves to the disciples to set before the people. Verse 41. Yes, you can see the manner that the manner in which we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we did last Lord's Day, is clearly prescribed here in Scripture. Indeed, the event here in the text is an anticipation of the Lord's Supper instituted by our Savior. But there is also something uniquely revelatory going on in our text and in this event. The key being Jesus looking up to heaven as he blessed the bread and the fish. His mission is out of heaven, ordained by his Father, is being invoked into the creation. His Father in heaven has sent his son, the final shepherd of the scattered sheep of Israel. And his father receives the blessed prayer of his son to multiply, multiply the bread and the fish so that his flock will be fed in green pastures to each person's full satisfaction. Congregation, before us is a heavenly scene of the kingdom of God in which the prior wilderness journey of Moses is transformed on an earthly plane by the final redeemer of his people. This whole event transcends every typical rational and empirical category of natural law in our minds. A wilderness is converted into a green pasture for sheep. Five loaves of bread and two fish feed 5,000. 5,000 men. And that was not including who were there in terms of women and children. Incredibly, 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish are collected after the meal. Many scholars look at this, and I tend to agree that this is symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. As this event points us to the Lord's Supper and beyond that event to the final consummation of the wedding feast of the bride and the bridegroom, you do not want to sadly miss, sadly miss the response of the disciples. You have to peer down. You have to look down after Jesus crosses and walks on water to verse 52. For they 
talking about the disciples, did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Even after their evangelistic mission and what they had witnessed in Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, they still do not possess a heart of faith in Jesus' person and kingdom. So as we look seriously and honestly into our own hearts this morning, which feast would you rather attend? Which one seems more exciting to you? The one that looks like the voices of college students at spring break? Or a college dorm? Or groups of people that get together after work in the workplace? For the weekend, let's party. Which usually means that it will contain matching elements of Herod's feast of drunken debauchery. The wilder, the better. Or are you truly content with Mark's transition in the text of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it may cost? Are you willing to endure the suffering cost that even is laid out before us in John the Baptist, who spoke freely about violating the law of God and its righteousness in a royal palace, knowing that even through suffering, you will be served by the glorious shepherd host of a heavenly blessed feast in which the setting of his flock is green pastures, placing you beside still waters, not fearful storms at sea, restoring your soul, directing you in the paths of righteousness, all for the sake of the precious name of Jesus the Christ. Like John the Baptist, you will walk through the shadow of death and fear no evil because the rod and the staff of the glorified shepherd has redeemed you by virtue of his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he comforts you each day of your life through his Holy Spirit. Yes, in Jesus, you are witnessing in the feeding of the 5,000 his preparation 
his preparation of the table for his flock, right in the presence of the enemies of his flock. The enemies, Herod, Herodias, Salome. And what a feast in which Jesus is host. You, you are his anointed. And the cup you receive overflows with satisfaction for your thirst. Indeed, instead of being trapped in the deep agony of untrusted friends, in the agony of the party life, Jesus is committed to providing goodness and mercy all the days of your life in this world, but also more gloriously fulfilled in the eternal world of heavenly glory. Only being served by the servant and by the shepherd host of all creation and of his feast, will you enjoy the eternal dwelling in the house, in the house of the Lord forever. Do not leave today desiring the feast in Herod's palace. Do not leave today with a hard heart, without, without faith, like the disciples did as they partook of the food provided by Jesus. But leave today with a joyful heart refreshed and completely satisfied that you, you belong to Jesus and that you have a reserved seat by grace alone at his banquet table. You, as a child, as a sheep in Christ's church, you from now on will only recite, read the 23rd Psalm with the mind of Christ freely given to each one of you, a sinner redeemed by the final shepherd. Glory to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the shepherd king who has come 
And we're so thankful that he alone can only nourish the sinful hearts of those who are the image bearer of thee in the creation. Yes, the lost will always seek and run after Herod's banquet. But those whom Christ has found by his sovereign grace has brought them into a banquet feast that alone satisfies. And we are thankful that we are served in a place in which Christ alone transforms a desolate wilderness into green pastures. In Christ's name, amen. As we come for our baptism this morning, we are going to sing the hymn that Michael and Kristen has chosen. This is hymn for all for all the saints, verses, uh, excuse me, number 358. And also now you can go and get your children to witness the baptism if you, uh, in the nursery.
may be seated. You may be seated. Go ahead and be seated. Well, what a wonderful event. <laughs> Please give your attention to the covenantal instruction for all of us to witness. As solemn vows are about to be made before you, the congregation here, and baptism is now to be administered, you who are baptized will do well to take this occasion to reflect on your own baptism. Christ has put his name and claim on you. He calls you to be repentant for your sins against your covenant God, to confess your faith before men, and to live in newness of life to God, who sealed his covenant with you by the blood of his own Son. Although our young children do not yet understand these things, they are nevertheless to be baptized. For God's command that all who are under his covenant of grace be given the sign of the covenant. God made the promise of the covenant to believers and to their offspring. In the Old Testament, he declared to Abraham, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. For this reason, in the Old Testament, God commanded that covenant infants be given the sign of circumcision. The covenant is the same in essence in both the Old and the New Testaments. Indeed, the grace of God for the consolation of believers is even more fully manifested in the New Testament. Thus, rather than rescinding the covenant promise to believers and to their offspring in the New Testament, God afterwards affirms it. He declares that the promise is to you and to your children. He promises, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. He affirms that if even one parent is a believer, the children are holy. Moreover, our Savior admitted little children into his presence, embracing and blessing them, and saying, of such is the kingdom of God. And so, in the New Testament, no less in the Old, the children of believers have an interest in the covenant and the right of the covenant sign and to be afterward, on, excuse me, and to be outward privileges of the covenant people, the church. In the New Testament, baptism has replaced circumcision as the covenant sign. Therefore, by the covenant sign of baptism, the children of believers are to be distinguished from the world and solemnly admitted into the visible church.